This is Your Legacy, a Powers Filmhouse production. has that one person they know. That one person that will always have an interesting story they can tell. And even if sometimes those stories get repeated, there's always something new with every telling. Whether that something be a detail that was omitted in the previous telling, or some part be a little more exaggerated than the time before. Either way, the story is always as, if not more, entertaining than the last time you hear it. Most of the time, This person is someone that you grew up around. For most, it was a parent or their guardian. For me, it was my father. I wanted this first episode to be from someone special. Someone really close to my heart and someone that has meant a lot to me throughout my life. So I thought, hey, why not my dad? His stories have entertained my sister and me for years. And while their retellings did change somewhat over the past almost 24 years that I've heard them, At their core, the stories still hold the same humor and memories that I remember from the first time I heard them back when I was too young to even process what he was saying. I hope you enjoy his tales today as much as I have throughout my growing up. Okay. I was walking home from school one day. I went to Tacoa School when I was a kid. And Tacoa School was on Pond Street. And as you left Tacoa School leaving, going south on Pond Street, you passed by the Cake Box Bakery, which was on the right. But before that, there was a a store called Van C. Nims. It was a hardware store. And I was walking home and coming up to the Van C. Nims store, and there was a man came walking out of the Van C. Nims store and turned right ahead of me, walking in front of me. And as he stepped into the alley, there was an alley between the bakery and the Van C. Nims hardware store. As he stepped off the curb into the alley, there was another man came out of the alley with a piece of rope and a piece of steel, looked like it was maybe four to five inches in diameter, tied to the end of the piece of rope. And he hauled off and hit that guy right upside the head with it. Well, the dude that came out of the Van C. Nim store fell to the pavement. I mean, he just collapsed. It was like, clash. And the man with the rope looked at me and said, Boy, you didn't see a damn thing, did you? And I said, No, sir, I didn't. And I turned around and went the other way. And I never thought about that story again until my son Tyler and I were walking down the street one day and we walked into that alley between the Cake Box Bakery and Van C. Nim's old store building, which that store building's gone. It's a parking lot now. When we stepped off in that alley, I thought about that, and that's the first time I had told that to anybody in my life. I I didn't remember it until I stepped off that curb with him that day. And I told him the story, and it just amazed me that I remembered it. Tacoa school there was a when I was a kid in grammar school first second and third grade there was a rock now you, this is going to sound stupid when I say a rock you're going to think a rock that you can pick up and throw or shooting a slingshot no this was a rock this was a big big rock I mean we're talking like 20 feet long and 
four feet out of the ground, you know. I mean, it was a pirate ship to us. It was a tank. It was... It was our... Whatever your imagination wanted it to be, that's what it was. And when I was a kid in, on the playground at Tacoa School, we used to play on the big rock. And I posted something on on one of the sites on Facebook right off right off of Facebook about the big rock and a lot of people commented on it you know they said like oh I played on that when I was a kid blah 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 you know that kind of good stuff but I carried my son Tyler over there one day and showed it to him you know and he was impressed and it was something from I'm talking like 57, 58 years ago that we played on this rock. And that sucker's still there. The school's gone, but the rock is still there. I mean, we, we used it as a pirate ship. It was a tank. It was king of the mountain. You played king of the mountain. Everybody tried to get up, and everybody on top tried to throw everybody trying to get up off. It's a wonder we didn't all die. You know, but we didn't. Oh, man. Me and my brother Bobby, this was 1982, 83, somewhere along there. We go down to Elbert County to go deer hunt. And there's a little little place down there called Bowman, Georgia. And Bowman, Georgia has a little restaurant in it called the Mini Burger. Believe it or not, that's the name of it, the Mini Burger. A lot of jokes have been made about the Mini Burger. One joke was how the guy made the hamburger patties. He'd wad up the beef and put it under his arm and squash it under his arm and make a hamburger patty. And my brother Bobby used to tell all the other guys at the hunting club that I would eat a hamburger after the guy put it under his arm. And I said, well, that's okay, because Bobby used to eat the donuts. And guess how he make the damn holes in a donut? But anyway, this, this is a true story. Me and Bobby, we were down there one day, and we went deer hunting. Well, we stopped at the mini burger and ate breakfast. And this is this. We were sitting at the table at the mini burger eating breakfast, and I was sitting. If you're facing the booth, I was on the right side. Bobby was on the left side of the booth, and the guy brought our food. You know, we had grits and eggs and bacon and toast for breakfast, whatever. You know, we're sitting there eating, and my brother Bobby reaches over with his left hand and gets a napkin out of the napkin holder. And when he pulls the napkin out, a cockroach about three inches long comes out of the napkin holder and runs up the wall about a foot and a half above the napkin holder. Well, Bobby, he is sitting there looking at that roach, and Bobby says, Bobby says, good God. And I looked at Bobby, and I said, what? And he says, he just points toward this cockroach up on the wall. And I look over and I see this cockroach. I mean, this thing is like three inches long. It's the biggest damn cockroach I think I've ever seen in my life. And I just reach up and slap it like that. And it falls down on the end of the table behind the napkin holder. And I go back to eat. And my brother Bobby, who has a really weak stomach, is sitting over there going, I just laughing at him and just keep right on eating. I went up to see my Aunt Julie in 2004 thing 2004 in 2004 my aunt julie was 106 years old 
She was born in 1898, and she died in 2006. But this was 2004. I went and saw my Aunt Julie. I drove all the way from, I was working in Clarksville, and I had a job to do in Hiawassee. And so I drove to Hiawassee and did my job, and I thought, hey, while I'm over here, I think I'll go see Aunt Julie. But I didn't exactly know where she lived, so I drove down Highway 76 out of Hiawassee to a little convenience store and stopped. And the girl in the convenience store, I walked in and I looked at her and she says, Can I help you? And I said, Yeah, maybe. I'm looking for Aunt Julie. And she said, Oh, Aunt Julie lives in the next little white house down the road toward back toward Clayton on the right. Next white house you come to. I said, well, she's actually my aunt. Is she yours? And she said, no. And I said, well, she's actually my great aunt. So I drive down to Aunt Julie's house and get out of the truck and walk up on the front porch and knock on the door. And here she is. She's sitting in a recliner in the living room. I can see her through the door. And she gets up and she comes over and she looks through the window at the door and she looks at me and she says, who are you? And I said, my name's James Powers. And she said, Christine's youngest boy. And she opens the door and says, you come on in here. And she reaches up and hugs me around the neck. And I've never been hugged like that by a little old lady before. She was about, Aunt Julie might have been four foot six, probably 160 pounds. Sweetest old lady you ever met. And we come on in. I come on in and sit down on the couch and we're talking. And she said, did I ever tell you about the time I broke my hip? And I said, no. And she said, I was 98 years old. The first time I had ever been in the hospital in my life. Never been in the hospital for anything except to visit other people. Well, went to the hospital in Gainesville. That's Gainesville, Georgia, for you people that don't know. But anyway, I'm in the hospital in Gainesville. And all these people, all these nurses, they really like me. They act like they do anyway, you know. And and she talks about how nice they are to her and how good they treat her and blah, 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 you know. Finally, she gets to come home after about... After about two weeks in the hospital, and then she went to rehab for about four weeks, she finally gets to come home, and her niece, Nancy, comes to stay with her. And Aunt Julie said her niece, Nancy, is like this. She gets up in the morning about 10 o'clock. Aunt Julie says, I get up at 5 a.m., it don't matter. Go to bed about 8 o'clock at night, it don't matter. If it's summer, winter, whatever. If it's still daylight, 8 o'clock comes, it's time to go to bed. 5 o'clock in the morning, summer, winter, don't matter, time to get up. And Aunt Julie says, I get up at 5 a.m. Nancy gets up at 10 a.m. And Aunt Julie says, Nancy is like this. 10 a.m. she gets up, she goes in the kitchen, fixes herself a pot of coffee, goes back, sits down in the living room, picks up the remote control for the TV, and at 10 o'clock in the morning she's sitting on the couch drinking a cup of coffee and with the remote control in her hand and she's going click, 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 and Aunt Julie says, I only get three channels. But she's like, click, click, constantly click, click, click. Well, Aunt Julie told me, she says, after about three weeks, I had had Nancy up to here. And she's holding her hand above her head. Now remember, Aunt Julie's like four foot something. But up above her head is five feet something. But anyway, Aunt Julie says, 
I walk in one day and here's Nancy on the couch. Cup of coffee in her left hand, remote control in her right hand, and she's going click, 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 click. And again, I only get three channels. And I walk in on my walker. I'm on my walker. And I walk in and I sit down on the couch beside Nancy. And Nancy's still sitting here. Click, 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 click. And Aunt Julie says, I elbow Nancy on the shoulder. And Nancy, like she's startled, it's like, oh my God, oh, oh, hey Aunt Julie. And Aunt Julie says, I look at Nancy and I says, can you do me a favor today? Sure, anything you want, Aunt Julie. And Aunt Julie looks at her and says, get the hell out of my house. And I had never heard Aunt Julie cuss until then. And she was 106 years old. Nineteen seventy-three. Driving a taxi from Tacoa. Went to Orlando Drive and picked up this guy. He was drunk when I picked him up. Older fella. I don't know his name. We started. He told me he wanted to go over to Bose Country Club which was actually the Rio Vista then. And we start down Highway 123 because Stevens County was dry. This was 1973. We're going down 123, Highway 123. We're down about Red Rock Road, and this guy starts feeling around on the dash. Feeling around the seat. Feeling around the floorboard. I looked over at him and I said, what are you looking for? And he says, my wallet. I took my wallet out of my pocket and I laid it right here on the dash of the car. Now we were in a 64 Chevrolet Impala. And I said, mister, I have not seen your wallet. Pull this car over, he says. So I pull over right at the end of Red Rock Road and I kind of kick it down in the ditch and put him down on the low side. He's feeling around on the dash. He he opens a glove box. He feels around in there. Shuts it. Feels around on the seat and the floorboard. Finally, he opens the passenger door. And when he opened the passenger door, I opened the driver's door and stepped out of the car and put my hand down on that 44 caliber pistol I had laying beside the seat. And I'm standing there with my hand on my gun, and he's feeling around under the seat, floorboard, everywhere over there. Finally, he looks at me and he says, and I quote, You son of a bitch, you stole my wallet. And I'm going to take it out of your ass. And he starts crawling across the seat toward me. I pick up the pistol, cock the hammer back, and I pointed it at him. And I said, Mister, you've got me just about scared enough to blow your motherfucking head off. And that man looked at that gun. And I swear to God, he looked like he had one big eye right in the middle of his forehead because his eyes got so big. And he said, My wallet is laying on top of the television. I took it out of my pocket when I changed plant pants and I forgot to pick it up. God, I'm sorry. And he turned around, sat down in the seat, reached out and grabbed the door and closed it. I'm standing there with a gun on him. And I said, are you sure about that? He said, yes, sir. He said, I am so sorry I said that about your mama. He'd call me an SOB. He said, I'm so sorry I said that about your mama. 
He said, will you forgive me? And he said, will you do me a favor? And I said, what's the favor? And he said, will you take me on to the Rio and loan me $5? I'll pay you back tomorrow. So I uncocked the pistol and I said, yeah, I can do that. And I laid the gun down beside the seat. Got back in, put the car in drive, and drove him to the Rio Vista. And I loaned him $5. And I turned around and I came home. The next morning, when I came back to the cab stand, he called in about 9 o'clock Sunday morning and said, I've got your $5, I've got your money for the trip, and I'll pay you for the trip coming out here to pick up your money. So I went and did all that, and everything was cool. friends of mine were out one day on a Friday it was raining we were going up Camp Michael Road and I know any, I know all my friends that hear this are going to remember it if they were there but anyway we were going up Camp Michael Road and the hot light kept coming on on the old 65 galaxy that we were in which belonged to Russell. I'm not going to call no last names. And I kept looking at it going, Hey man, your car is running hot. And he said in his infinite wisdom, There's enough moisture in the air to keep the engine cool. And I'm like, Moisture in the air don't mean crap, Russell. It's moisture in the engine that means crap. And he's like, oh, it'll be okay. We've got to cross the creek up here. We've got to ford the creek. And that moisture will keep the engine cool. And we forged the creek. And guess what? We made it to our destination. Without the engine seizing up. <clears throat> but anyway. By the time we got to where we were going, the rain had basically stopped. And we all got out of the car and climbed the mountain and set up the tent and then spent three hours trying to get a campfire going, which we finally did. And then Russell decided he had to take a crap. And he wandered off into the woods and started to yell about something. And we all just assumed he was being raped by a Yeti. <laughs> I got to laugh at that. I can't help it. But he was screaming and yelling and we were all like, What's the matter, Russell? I don't know! And then Terry yells out, He's being raped by a Yeti! And we all like uh, started accusing him of being raped by a Yeti. Well, we spent all night smoking pot and drinking booze and having a big time and listening to Aerosmith. And the next morning, after daylight, we we rolled up the tent and we came down the hill to the car. And there was two turkey hunters. <laughs> there was two turkey hunters over there. And they were looking at us like, what the hell are these guys doing here? You know, and here we were all long-haired and hippie-looking, you know. We'd been stoned and drunk all night. And these guys were looking at us like, what kind of damn idiots are these, man? I mean, it's, it's like daylight. It's just getting daylight, you know. 
The old rock quarry one night. This was a long, long time ago. Me and some friends, it was four of us. It was Roger and Terry and Russell. You know, the one who got raped by the Yeti. And me. We go up to the old rock quarry. We carry a bunch of beer. And Russell brings, what do you call that stuff? The bull. Six pack of bull. (laughs) I can't remember what it was. Wait a minute. Let me think a minute. Anyway, he brings this stuff to bull and drinks six of these bulls. And I don't know how much beer. And then you got Terry, who is high on mescaline. And then you got Roger, who is sitting on the ground with his feet out in front. I mean, he's like flat-legged, straight out on the ground. And I hand him a beer open, and he falls back on his back with his feet up in the air swallows 12 ounces of beer, sits back up, throws the bottle away and looks at me and says, is this what it's like to be drunk? And I said, nope. Reach in the cooler, hand him another 12 ounce bottle of beer. He falls over on his back, his feet up in the air and he guzzled 12 ounces of beer, sits up, throws the bottle away Is this what it's like to be drunk? And I said, nope. And I reach in the cooler. And this goes on forever. Forever. All night long he does this. In the meantime, Terry, who is high on mescaline, is over here discussing life with the pine trees. I mean... He is talking to the trees. He is like... I mean, it's like talking to Abraham Lincoln, you know, with the trees. Russell, on the other hand, who is drinking like a, drinking like a sponge, is just out of his mind drinking, breaks off a chunk of styrofoam. He starts hollering, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And he breaks out a big chunk of styrofoam ice chest and proceeds to eat a six by six portion, six by six inch portion of styrofoam off of an ice chest. I'm hungry! And he starts eating this stuff. A little while later, he thinks he can fly, but that's that's a little while later. In the meantime, Terry is over here talking to the pine trees. And Terry looks at all three of us and says, the, pine, the small pine trees have accepted our presence here. But the big, the large, the tall pine trees, they look down on us for being here. And Russell walks over to Terry and looks at this little pine tree that's about three feet tall. Russell says, You mean to tell me this little pine tree right here? And he grabs it by its top and says, This little pine tree right here has accepted our presence here? And Terry says, Oh yes, Russell. The little pine trees have accepted our presence here. And Russell proceeds to start wringing his neck like a chicken. Like he would wring a chicken's neck. I mean, he's spinning it around and around and around. And Terry jumps up and yells, No, Russell! No! No! God, no! The little pine trees will turn against us too! Don't do that! And he jumps on Russell and drags him to the ground and holds him on the ground and... I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is all this? 
These people are crazy. These people are crazy. I'm the only one that's sober. Everybody else is wasted. I mean, Roger's over here still, one beer after another, falling back on his back with his feet up in the air, raising back up and throwing the bottle away. Is this what he feels? No, this ain't what it feels like to be drunk. And I pop another bottle, I cap, cap off the bottle, hand him another 12-ounce bottle, and he does the same thing over and over. And Russell and Terry are, are squabbling over a pine tree. I mean, my God, it's like, oh, it's like Armageddon. What the hell is going on? These people are fighting over a pine tree. Finally, I, I get over there and I tell Terry, let Russell up, man. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Calm down. It's just a tree. Well, they finally get calmed down. And Russell goes back to drinking the bull. Oh, it was slit smart liquor bull. That's what he was drinking. He goes back to drinking the bull and about three hours later, I guess, it was probably about one in the morning, maybe two, Russell disappears. And me being the only sober one in the bunch goes off and looks for Russell. And I find Russell, now remember, we are at the rock quarry, okay? I mean, the rock quarry, where there's big, high cliffs of rock. I find Russell, he is standing on the edge of the cliff with his toes hanging over the cliff. And he's looking at me saying, James, I can fly. And I'm like, no, Russell, you can't fly. Oh, I can fly, James, I can fly. No, Russell, you can't fly. And I'm not about to get close enough to him for him to grab me. Because if he grabs me and takes me off the cliff with him, then we're both going to die. And I'm like, hmm. He's wasted. If he wants to die, I'll let him die. But I'm not going to die with him. Come on, Russell. Come on, man. Come on. I can fly. I can fly. No, you can't. No, you can't fly, man. And I don't know how long it took me, but I finally talked him back from the ledge and got him back to camp. And there he passed out. Thank God. And Roger, on the other hand, at daylight the next morning was still sitting there going, is this what it feels like to be drunk? And I'm like, nope. And I crack open another beer and hand it to him. And sometime that morning, about probably 9, 9.30 or so, I carried Roger, Roger home. And somehow or another, Russ, Roger, uh, Terry and Russell managed to leave I don't know how but they did but I went on home and a couple of days later I went and saw Roger and Roger said I'm still not over it man I'm still not over it I have one question what? were you actually sober that day? yeah I was I was actually sober I think I drank three beers the whole night Me and my friend Termite and some other friends decided we would go on a canoe trip in the Okefenokee Swamp. And on the way down, me and Termite are riding together. And we got to Elberton, Georgia, and we stopped at a Hardy's. And we go in and we sit down and we're eating lunch. You know, burger, fries, and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, Termite looks over at me and Termite says, Don't you hate it when somebody opens a car door up against your car? 
And I said, yeah, man, I hate that. And he says, don't you really hate it when somebody opens a car door up against your car? I said, God, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I really hate it. I I hate it. It just pisses me off. And he says, but don't you really, really hate it when somebody does that? And I said, yeah, I really do. What's going on? And he points out the window. And I look out the window in the parking lot. And there is this, my car is sitting there. It's an 81 Monte Carlo. It's sitting there in the parking lot. And we just got it back out of the paint shop. It had been out of the paint shop for like two days. And this woman was putting a baby in a car seat in the back seat of her car. And the back door of her car was opened as far as it could go. And it was against the side of my car with a brand new paint job. And she was... I don't know, she was bouncing the baby up and down and you could see the door just rubbing up and down against the side of my car. So I get up and I walk out to the parking lot where the lady is and I walked up and I looked at her and I said, Thank you! Thank you very much! And she looks at me and says, What? And I said, Thank you so much! And she says, For what? And I said, for rubbing the damn paint off the side of my car. My God, we just got this thing out of the paint shop yesterday. Can't have nothing. Can't have nothing. And she was real embarrassed, and she turned red in the face, and I thought she was going to start screaming at me, but she didn't say another word to me. She just put her baby on in the car seat and shut the door and went around and got in and left. And I looked at my car, and I'm standing there thinking, look at them scratches. I mean, my God. But anyway, we drove all the way down to Homersville after that to the Okefenokee Swamp. I can't remember the name of the park. We met some friends down there. We were going to go on a canoe trip over on the the, um, Okefenokee Swamp. And we camped on, this was Friday, and we camped Friday night, and Saturday morning we got up, and we were going to take this canoe trip. It was a one-day trip in, and then you had another day to come back out, so you got to stay overnight. And as we were walking out, we went in and registered to get our canoes, and, and me and Termite, we were walking out across the, the little area there by the boat ramp, and there was a four-foot-long alligator right at the bottom of the boat ramp. And a little girl, looked like she was maybe three or four years old, standing about three or four feet from the alligator. And this park ranger runs down the boat ramp and stops beside the little girl. And the little girl looks at the alligator and looks up at the, at the ranger and says, what is that? And the ranger says, that's an alligator. Oh, what does it eat? And the ranger says, little blonde-haired girls. Oh, says the little girl. So he leads her back up the boat ramp and says, what is your mom and dad's name? And she tells him, and she, he starts calling his, her parents' names. So we go on out. We go on out and get our canoe. Well, Tyler's looking at me like, "Well, what was the rest of the story there?" There wasn't no rest of the story. He went on and, and I guess he found her parents. I don't know. We left before that. But anyway, our group goes on out and gets our canoes. You know, we're looking for the number. We find the number. We get in the canoe. And Termite and I had never been in a canoe in our lives. Now, Jim and Julie, our friends, had. Ron and Amy had been in a canoe. And James, this guy from Tennessee, was in a canoe by himself. 
That was our total group there. There was seven of us. They had they were all canoe experts. We were canoe novices. We had never been in a canoe. So we paddle out and we get in the in these the Swanee River down there and turn left and I guess we're going north I don't know it's a nine mile trip in a canoe Termite and I paddled 27 miles on a nine mile trip because we would be going straight and the next thing you know we would be going right or left one or the other we had no idea which way we were going, what we were doing. And we would go 100 yards out of the way. I mean, we would, like, flip the paddle, and the next thing you know, you'd be 100 yards over to the right. And the water was so black, you could put your hand down in it. And you could put your hand down past your wrist, and you couldn't see your hand. That's how dark the water was. I mean, it was black water. And you would go through places where there would be alligators, four or five feet from your canoe. I mean, it was just freaky. The damn alligators were just everywhere. And we got hung between two trees. We got hung on a submerged stump. And we were in this canoe for like 10 hours on a nine-mile trip. Now, Jim and Julie, Jim would flip that paddle whoosh, and we'd glide a hundred feet. James, by himself in a canoe, flip that paddle, he'd glide a hundred feet. Ron would flip that paddle, he'd glide a hundred feet. I would flip my paddle, hell, we'd stop. I don't know why, we just stopped. But anyway, we finally, after about nine or ten hours, we made it to the end of the White Trail. It was an island. Oh, dry ground. Wow. And we get up there and we set up our camp. We set up our tents. We set up everything. Put up the tarps. Everything, you know. And Termite and I decide we're going to go fishing. We'd heard about catfishing in the Okefenokee Swamp. Catfishing was like, woo! Everybody said, catfishing is the way to go. Well, our worms died. We had a box of worms, and I reckon we left them in the sun, and they died. So we took a hot dog weenie, and we cut a, we just sliced it, just round pieces of hot dog, and put them on a hook, and we would throw them out in the water, and every time they hit the water, man, it was like, oh, got one, and reel one in. Put on another piece of hot dog, throw it in. Got another one, reel it in. I mean, we're talking catfish, 16, 18, 20 inches long. Nice catfish, you know. But anyway, it got dark, and we're sitting here with a lantern between us. And this lantern is throwing light out over the Okefenokee Swamp out about 20 feet or so. And we're sitting there with our feet hanging off this end of this wooden dock. Our feet are down about two, maybe three inches off the top of the water. And we're catching catfish and they're splashing and, you know, we're just having a big time. We're like, woo, look at this, man, I got another one, ah. Termite, yeah, I got one, I got one, I got one, I got one. No, I got one, we both got one. You know, we're doubling up, all that kind of stuff. And I get looking out over it, right at the very edge of that light, and I see these green orbs. These green orbs right on top of the water. They're about four, five, six inches apart, these orbs are. And they're right on the water surface. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world could that possibly be? And then it hits me. Oh my God, that could be alligators. 
and we're talking 20 feet away and I start counting these sets of green orbs there's 27 sets of green orbs 20 feet away from us and I'm like oh my god there's 27 alligators within 20 feet of us and I look down and I think my feet are 3 inches off the top of the water whoa whoa wait a minute my feet are 3 inches off the top of the water and there's 27 sets of eyes within 20 feet of me so you know you know the way that an old Indian sits cross-legged you know I bring my feet up on the boat dock and cross-leg my feet and I looked at Termite and I says Termite you see those green dots out there he says yeah I noticed that I said You think maybe, you think maybe those green dots might be alligator eyes? And Termite says, I don't know, they could be. And then he looks over at me and he looks down at my legs and he, he he's like, holy <laughs> And he looks like he's got one big eye right in the middle of his forehead looking at my legs. And he looks down at his legs, he looks at my legs and he looks at his legs and then he jerks his legs up onto the dock. And he says, my God, those things could have took us off the dock. And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, it's time to quit fishing. So we go back into camp. And it, like I said, it's dark, you know. And we go back into camp and we're sitting here and it's supper time. And we're, we're all got a fire burning, a big fire. And we're, we're cooking hot dogs, you know, on a stick over the fire, you know. I'm sitting there on my little my little bucket. I carried a bucket with my sleeping bag in it, and I'm sitting there on my bucket, you know, roasting a hot dog. And Julie looks over at me and she says, "Hey, James, who's your little friend?" And I said, "My little friend." And she says, "Yeah, your little friend there." And I said, "What little friend?" And she said, "Right there beside of you." And I look down, and there's this cutest little raccoon, cutest raccoon you ever seen in your life, sitting there. He's like, just sitting here right beside me. I mean, within hand's reach. I could reach down and pet him if I wanted to, but I didn't want rabies, so I didn't. And I'm looking at him. He's looking at me, and I reach over there, and I get a hot dog, Winnie, and I hand it to him. He takes it and runs off into the edge of the woods there, you know, disappears, and we're all like, wow, you know, he's, he's happy. He's got something to eat. A few minutes goes by. Next thing we know, here comes five raccoons out of the woods. And they're walking around between us, you know. We're handing them cookies. Well, I mean, they got Oreos, you know. We give them Oreos. We give them hot dog wings. We give them a piece of bread. And it's dark. I mean, it's dark out here. One of these, one of these critters climbs up on the table and grabs a box of Pop-Tarts jumps off the table and takes off out through the woods. Well, here goes Termite, like a bat out of hell, chasing this raccoon. He runs this raccoon out into the woods and catches him and comes back with his box of Pop-Tarts. Termite says, I don't go, I don't never go camping without a box of Pop-Tarts and ain't no damn raccoon gonna take my freaking uh, Pop-Tarts. Well, we feed the coons and they all finally leave and we all finally get ready to go to bed. Well, we take a hammock. Jim brought a hammock and he, we take all of our food and we wrap it up in this hammock. I mean, it's like three layers deep. Throw a rope over a tree limb, tie the hammock to it, and we pull the hammock up to about a foot below the tree limb thinking, hey, everything will be cool. 
we all go to bed. You know, we're fighting mosquitoes like crazy. I mean, this, this place is like you could you could clap your hands and kill twenty mosquitoes. You know, all night long like that. But anyway, we finally go to bed and we get up the next morning and lower that hammock down. And lo and behold, everything is there, even the box of Pop-Tarts. There's only one problem. The box is there, but all the Pop-Tarts are gone. Every one of the Pop-Tarts are gone out of the box. And Termite is pissed. But anyway... We get back in the canoes and we're leaving and we're cruising along in the canoe and I looked at Termite and I said, put your paddle in the canoe, man. I'm going to learn how to drive this thing. And for about the next 30 minutes, I drive the canoe and then he says, put your paddle in the canoe. He's in the front and he learns how to guide the front and we're the first people to get back to the ranger station when we're leaving. If you or someone you know would like to share their story on our show, then please send us an email at powersfilmhouse at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at powersfilmhouse. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I will see you next time.